All right, so we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You should be familiar with this passage, right? Uh, a lot of Sunday mornings we have this scripture reading for us, or this specific passage read for us. Uh, as, as we look at this, I think there's a lot to think about. I, I remember uh, a sister in Christ over in Jacksonville, she used to say this a lot. She said, people treat the Bible like they treat the Constitution. You know, and she would say that and I would think about it. And I would think about that and think about what does she mean by that? Because, you know, some people, well, they treat the Bible with high esteem and high regard and they want to know it and they read it and they want to keep it. And then usually, you know, a lot of individuals do the same thing with the with the Constitution, the United States. But at the same time, you have a lot of individuals that say, I want to use the Constitution for power, for manipulation, to allow myself to, to do things. And you see this in politics and with politicians. And you also see people do the same thing with the Bible and with the Scriptures. And so we come to the Word of God respecting it and kind of where we left off last week, realizing that all good things and every good deed that we can know to do comes from the Holy Scriptures. That we can rely upon the Bible and that we don't want to take any part of it and twist it or distort it. We want to rightly handle the Word of God. And so I always thought that's, a, that's an excellent thought and something to, to think about is the, the way that we behave in this world and the, and the important documents that we have and the way that we treat them uh, often is reflected in how we treat the Word of God. And of course, God's Word is going to be more supreme than any other. You have a section, a little passage, uh, a stanza there in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're going to look at this morning that talks about an unworthy manner of which those who were in the church at Corinth were worshiping God and engaging in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now, some translations will say unworthily, all right, and some have taken this as as an adjective of the person that they're unworthy. And it depends on how you take that because we're all unworthy in the sense that we're sinners, but we're also worthy in the fact that Christ has saved us by grace and forgiven us of our sins and that we are holy before Him so that we can uh, approach the throne of grace as the book of Hebrews says. So what we're going to look at this morning is worship. And what is stressed here is an unworthy manner. What goes along with it? And then was also stressed in the text is the guilt that might go along with it that's going on at this church at Corinth. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you realize this is a church with a lot of problems and a lot of things going on within it. And so as we look at how they behave in the assembly, it tells us a lot about them. And it reflects a lot upon ourselves, the way that we worship God, how we come to communion, and how we engage in the Lord's Supper shows us a lot about uh, who we are as a congregation and our behavior and individually where our hearts are. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians right now, go on and read the passage. And I'm going to come back to it in a moment for our exposition. I'm going to read it from the English Standard. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Now I could definitely back up and give it more context, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But chapter 11, verse 23 and following. This is what Paul says. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, <clears throat> the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. I can't think of a more important institution or meal for us to partake in and how serious it is and how important it is for us to think about what we're doing in communion. But let's keep reading verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For the body... Excuse me, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would be we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give you directions when I come. There's a lot of things going on there in the context of this passage. And so what you're going to read there, and you read, if you back up and read verse 17 through 22, you see that some are coming together and eating, and some are going without, and some are getting full. I think the way usually the translations translate it in saying they were getting drunk. Um, the word there, methuo, means they were being filled. It doesn't necessarily mean they were drunk. That's another conversation we'll get to in another day. But, um, but when we look at what's being taught here, the main point is, is that our, we want our worship to be done in a worthy manner. And what is worthy of God and of our Creator. So that we're not guilty before Him and we're not liable before Him and we're not liable of His judgment. And therefore, the point is this, that Christians must examine the manner in which they worship God. That's exactly what Paul said here. He says, examine yourself. Make sure that you are worshiping in a way that God wants you to worship according to his words. And that's how Paul began right there in verse 23. He says, this is just as has been delivered to us. Christ gave it to us. And so we obey it and we keep it in this way. We keep the Lord's Supper and this communion. uh, And that's what these Christians were doing. They're assembling for this. In fact, there in 1 Corinthians, as you pay attention in chapter 11, you see that they met and assembled together for that reason. Comment more on that in a moment as well. The Christians must examine again the manner in which they worship God. And there are a lot of things that go behind that. That's that's a part of it. In this congregation, they have factions and divisions among them. All right? You ever been in a congregation where one side of the congregation, one side of the auditorium wouldn't speak to the other? And that kind of situation is kind of like what you've got here a friction of contention. And so you can imagine that when communion is going on, are they actually communing with one another and with God? And so there are things that affect that. Other things that may go on along with that behavior as well. What you're thinking about, are you, are you partaking of this memorial meal, memorial meal in a way in which you're thinking of the body and the blood of Christ? Because he warns us here that you can profane Christ in this. This meal that's been given by Christ, if you take it away and you're not mindful of it, if you're not discerning it, then you are doing so in an unworthy manner. And it says here to these Christians, you'll be judged for that if you do that. So have you ever seen someone even behave in an unworthy manner at a memorial? You've been to maybe a funeral, maybe you've been to a wedding before and seen some strange event happen of, of disrespect. Maybe um, 
It could be in regards to any recognition of um, those who have died for the country, uh, any kind of memorial like that, national anthem. You can go down the list where you look at those things and how an individual behaves. Do they show respect? Are they mindful of what that memorial is about? And ultimately here, we have the memorial of Jesus Christ and his death. So here are some observations, again, some things we're seeing here um, from the passage. So 1 Corinthians 11, we're seeing again the the Lord's Supper. Now this is the only place in the Bible where the communion, as I'm calling it, is called the Lord's Supper. You can call it the communion, you can call it the Lord's Supper, you can call it the breaking of bread. The the breaking of bread is the most common phrase that's used for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, again, is a tradition that's been delivered by Christ. And going along with our message from last week, we know what the Bible says. It says, keep the traditions just as they've been delivered to you. There's a reason for that. The reason why is so that we do not profane the death of Christ. So that we do things for our own own good. This memorial right here is for us. It is to help us. It directs our focus on Christ. It puts our life in order. It sets the whole rest of the week as we think about who He is. We don't do this because it's some kind of pleasing, Strictly a pleasing aroma to God, but that God gives it to us as it it is pleasing to Him, but it's for our own blessing and our own benefit. It's just as Christ said that God didn't create um, man for the Sabbath, but He created Sabbath for the man. In other words, that rest and that time is put there because it's what's best for man. So the Lord's Supper, again, is that tradition delivered by Christ. And if it's delivered by Christ, again, I can't make it any better. I want to keep it the way that Christ has delivered it. And that would apply in all parts of our worship. We see this as well, that Paul stressed the words and the actions of Christ in instituting it. It is a memorial of his death. And then it also says here that as Christ took each part of it, he thanked God. In other words, it's a Thanksgiving meal. The Greek word, um, or the phrase you've ever heard the Lord's Supper called Eucharist. The Greek word Eucharistia is right here, which means to give thanks. That's what Christ did when he took of each of these. He gave thanks. At this time, and when we, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we thank God and we think about that great sacrifice. But at the same time, in the context here, Paul uses this as a reference for us. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27, Paul stressed that the person who eats the bread and drinks the cup, and again, in an unworthy manner. There, it's an, it's an adverb. It's talking about how you do it. Examine your actions. Make sure that you're mindful. Otherwise, you'll be guilty in the body and the blood of Christ. Now, how severe would that be if you're guilty of the body and the blood of Christ because of the way that you you worship or that you profane God? I can't think of another, another offense against God any greater than what we read about right there. That you would be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ because when you partake of it, you're not mindful, you're not thinking, you're not discerning about what you're doing. And so in the context of this church, at Corinth, they had all these factions and divisions, and it it affected how they thought. It affected how they worshipped. Were they worshipping in spirit and truth? Were they worshipped with their spirit and with their mind, as you read about in 1 Corinthians 14? They weren't doing it. They've been distracted from it. But each person is to examine oneself, the text says, how we eat. We are to think about what the institution is meant for and not bring judgment on ourselves. And because these Christians lacked examination and they lacked discernment of the Lord's Supper, notice the description there. They're called what? Weak. They're weak. 
They're ill, and then they're asleep. And I might infer too much here, again, it's my inference, that asleep here, he's saying that many of them are dead. You're dead in your faith because of the way you, you behave, because you are engaging in worship and you've changed it. You're not keeping the traditions as they've been given to you because your mind's not in it and your heart's not in it. That's one problem. And if you were to, to come to this institution and to change it and alter it and change it, make those changes as well, you're also, your mind and heart's not in it. You're thinking again, maybe I can make this institution this meal that's been given to us by Christ a little bit better. And therefore, Paul concludes that section, he says, Christians who assemble, who assemble to eat this supper should wait. Wait. Why? Because a lot of them, this is the first thing that happened in the congregation back then. All right? When, when they gathered together in the first century, they didn't check their watches. I don't know if they had sundials or whatever they might have checked. So, but th- they're getting there at a certain time, and they're waiting for one another to get together. And he's saying, many of you are not waiting. Why? Because you don't care about the others that are coming. You don't respect them. There's a division there. And so they're getting together, and some of them are saying, well, we brought this. Let's eat it. Let's partake of the communion together and not wait for the rest of the congregation to get to to come together. So Paul here is stressing it. He says, you wait for one another. You do it together. And he says, you don't eat it out of hunger. And I think it's proper to to call this, this, this table a supper, okay, when we partake of it. You ever had a discussion of what's the difference between supper and dinner? All right, I hear, I heard that last week, actually. Supper and dinner. All right, go look it up in the dictionary. There's a di- there is a different difference, all right? You can have dinner in the middle of the day, or you can have it at night. It's your chief meal. But if you have supper, you're just supping. You're just having a little bit, okay? And that, that's really what's expressed here in the text is that this is a meal that is one as a supper. You know, you're not, we're not partaking of it to, to meet any kind of desire of hunger. It has a greater purpose than that. The purpose of the Lord's Supper transcends that. It is that we are partaking of this in that way. We are supping. We are communing with Christ in this, and that's what matters. So we can look at this, and we can, we can look at this example here about the Lord's Supper, and I believe we can apply it across the board. In many parts of our life, and how we read, and how we study, and how we behave as a, as a church in the assembly, and as a congregation, can altering the New Testament pattern for worship affect our relationship with God? It does. And we see that right here. You take out the model, the form, and you begin to change some things along the way. If we were to change the bread or change the cup or to add lamb's meat to it, um, just to, you know, someone might say, well, Jesus did it at the Passover. Why don't we just add something else to it? All those things would be a distortion of it and your heart's not in the right place. Furthermore, you can do it all in the right way, as we, I think we did this morning. But then you're, again, not thinking about what you're doing. Or you've got contentions within the congregation or between friendships or within, within your own family that distracts you from partaking of this meal and engaging in true worship. This passage here about Lord's Supper, this is not where Paul just brings it up. He speaks about it the chapter before. And you can check your Bible. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, listen, a lot of you aren't paying attention to what is said in the Old Testament when it gave you warnings about idolatry. Some of you are going into idols' temples and you're eating that food and then you're going to eat of this food. 
He says, you can't eat at the table of these idols. And he calls them demons. And in the Old Testament, idolatry is connected with demons and their work. And you see that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, when you partake of communion, it has a purpose and a meaning to it. That you cannot be engaged in worship to any other God and in this meal. You can't worship anyone else or anything else. This meal is meant to say, I worship one God. I don't worship myself. I don't worship others. I don't worship any other gods. I worship one Creator. And I worship Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who I worship. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 through 17. Beautiful passage here. This is where the, the phrase for communion comes from. And I'm using a different translation here. I'm using the legacy standard translation that has recently come out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16-17 says this, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Now if you have a different translation, it might say communing with the blood of Christ or partaking. And it all means the same thing. This is where the idea of communion comes from. And so when you eat of the cup of blessing, you're partaking in the altar of Jesus Christ. You're partaking in His sacrifice. You're communing with Him. And so it's very important. And as I look at this and I apply it to other parts and how I worship God, I want to make sure that I'm not profaning in any way. So is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? You're partaking in that sacrifice. Hebrews 13 and verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says there, do we not partake of an altar that those who are of the old covenant who reject Christ cannot partake of? And it's yes. We as all Christians are priests and we partake of the Lord's table of His altar, of the sacrifice of Christ. And we share in it and we commune with Christ in this. And then he says, this is the bread that we break, a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I think it's interesting Paul says that. He says, we're all eating one bread. That doesn't mean there's one loaf that Paul baked it and then sent it across the Aegean Sea to Corinth, okay? He's saying we're eating at the same thing at the same time. I like to think about that. When we commune together and when we're gathered this morning, you think about the thousands of other churches of Christ, at least in our time zone, or churches in general, uh, that are they're seeking to follow the New Testament pattern of Christ. Then we recognize that, that we're communing together, that this meal is significant and important. He says, since there is one bread, we're eating of the same meal. We are also one body. This is a part of our unity and who we are as a congregation. But this church here, they had lost it at Corinth. They had, they had missed it. He says, for we all partake of the one bread. We all partake of this one meal and how important it is. And so it stands out here as they're uh, communing with Christ. Uh, that they not miss the meaning of the communion. There's another point I wanted to make, and I, I think it left me. Maybe to come back in a moment. I want you to think about this as far as our application goes. How do you speak about somebody and respect someone? Uh, and how you do it, um, how does that affect your relationship with them? You know, if I, if I didn't speak well of my spouse, and uh, you know, I, I didn't love her, and I didn't respect her, and you could see that, in my behavior, in the way that I speak, you, you would know that there's something wrong with their relationship. And that same thing applies here in regards to our worship. How we speak about our Creator. How we speak about God. 
How we respect Him and the things, the institutions and the traditions that Christ has given to us. It all applies. So, should we respect and praise a loving Father? Yes, we need to be worshiping God. And our hearts and minds need to be in it. How do you speak about someone you admire and you adore? You praise them. You don't hide it. So, I love that person. I admire that person for who they are. And you don't hide it. And furthermore, if you admire and adore them and you see good traits in them, especially if you look up to them, and you want, then you're going to want to imitate them. You're going to want to follow them, especially toward those who are leaders. And so we have this passage again in Scripture that says, imitate, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he says, keep the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. Why? It's for our own good. So does altering worship reveal other problems? Yes, it does. It might reveal problems in the church, within your family, within your heart, within your mind. And so when we examine ourselves and how we worship, it's very important it's a, it's a great time for us to, you know, first day of the week, we assemble together. Great time for us to examine ourselves. Um, make sure that our relationship with our Creator is right, that we're in fellowship. That's why we're here. Now, you think about the whole course of life. Is it worth your time to one time a week to gather with like-minded, faithful Christians to, to think about something, something, someone greater than you? Or to think about the whole purpose of life. Yes, it is. And so it, it, it makes perfect sense that we'd want to do this. That this is how I want to begin the week. To think about Christ. To think about what He's done. To think about His death and burial and resurrection of Christ. A little bit further, just backing up there in 1 Corinthians 11. Look at me in verse 17 and you get a little bit more of that context I've been speaking about. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That's a horrible condition for a congregation to be in, that they come come together for the worse. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, now it's often recognized that a lot of these Christians would meet together in houses, but this congregation of Corinth has probably over 200 members, and I I would agree with that. Um, Other commentators have said that, scholars have said it. And so when they come together in the same place, they're probably meeting together in their own building, a synagogue. And they're coming together all at once. And he says, and I hear this, you're coming together, but you're still divided. I hear that there are divisions that exist among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. And so, in other words, they're boasting of certain people that they want to follow. I'm a Paul and I'm a Apollos. And I don't know if those are the exact names that they were dividing over in the congregation. That's what Paul stressed earlier in the book. But they're dividing over that. I'm with this person. I'm with that person. And then we go on a little bit further and look at this. He keeps stressing that. Therefore, when you meet together in the same place, when you all come together in the same place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, he's not saying when you come together, don't eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying you're coming together for the worst because you're making the Lord's Supper and that communion and no longer is it the Lord's. No longer is it the meal it's supposed to be. He says, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk or full. For do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He's stressing that this, this meal is not to be full on, to be filled on. He says, you can do that in your own home. He says, but at this place, and this meeting, and this time, we eat of this meal for a specific purpose. 
He says, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. So Paul gives them instruction and corrects them. He says, when you come together, and their main time of coming together would have been the first day of the week. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. That they gather on the first day of the week, and their gathering, why? Was to have communion, to worship God, to engage in this meal and it's significant and important. And I think it's a shame today that many churches avoid partaking of communion every first day of the week when they assemble together, because that's the pattern I see in the Bible. The point is this morning, as we think about communion and our worship, it's a pivotal part in church life. It reveals who we are as Christians and as a congregation. It, talks, it, it, it re- communicates our beliefs that we proclaim the death of Christ. It shows that our actions are committed to Christ, that our lives are committed to Him. And that's who we are, that we identify ourselves in Jesus Christ. So church life, beliefs, and actions, as we've seen this morning, they affect the form of congregational worship. When there's disunity, when there's other problems going on in the congregation, it can affect and change how we worship. We want to avoid that. That passage that I emphasized last week, I want to come back to as our conclusion this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, be imitators of me. Why? He says, just as I am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. We don't want to alter or change anything. We want to keep the pattern in the scripture, and imitate Christ. We want to do this, why? Because this is where our hearts and our minds are focused upon our Creator and upon Jesus Christ. This morning, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, you can. You can receive the grace of Christ, confess your faith by confessing your faith and repenting of your sins and putting on Christ in baptism. And if you will seek to worship God and imitate Christ, then you're going to find love and joy and peace in Him. And I encourage you, there's no better way to live. This morning, if you want your sins washed away, you can come forward. You want prayers and encouragement. You can come. Let's stand and sing together.